Howdy, this is 5150. This is my presentation on how to use FFmpeg convert video shot on an Android phone to a more portable format, specifically to a format suitable to upload to YouTube. I'm not asserting that I've arrived at the optimal parameters. I do know that after a period of research and frustration, I came up with a method that I was satisfied with. It is in fact my hope that I can start a discussion whereby those more knowledgeable may respond with better options. The other day I was attending an event for which I wished to record video, but my trusty Sony Digital Video Tape camera decided to cough up a hairball and refused to recognize a perfectly good brand new tape. As a substitute, I broke out my HTC Droid Incredible and was able to record a couple 15 minute clips before the battery gave out. When I got home, I transferred the clips to my PC and was surprised to learn that I didn't recognize the video container format denoted by the extension .3GP. .3GP? What the heck is .3GP? Fortunately, Wikipedia to the rescue. .3GP is a multimedia container format defined by the third generation partnership project for 3G mobile phones. It is a derivative of MPEG-4, and they use .3GP for GSM phones and .3G2 for CDMA phones. And by that, I'm assuming they mean all smartphones, but the very least to apply to HTC Android. The video is for an organization of which I'm a member, and I developed the organization's website on my Windows PC, so that's where I'd copied the video files. Uh, first thing I tried was opening the .3GP files in Windows Media Player and to its credit at least recognized that it was a video format even though it had no idea how to play them. Of course the next thing I tried was to play the uh, files in VLC and there I had video but no audio. That was corrected by downloading and installing the current version of VLC for Windows. I realized that I would probably like to use an open source tool to convert the video format to something more common. So I transferred the files over to my Linux box and again I tried to, to play them within Player, which reported that it needed a plug-in AMR adaptive multi-rate decoder before it could play. Again VLC played the video with no problem. I'd already decided that the most appropriate tool for converting video would be FFmpeg, but I had no experience using it. Now if I digress for a minute, I've mentioned I transferred files to my PC and from the PC to the, uh, the Windows PC to the Linux box, rather than uploading video directly to the internet. Well, the reason, first I wanted to take a look at the video before I uploaded it, make sure I didn't have to do any additions, corrections, and I do know that uh, the camera album software on my, on my Droid has support for uploads to Flickr and Facebook and there certainly should be an app for almost any other popular uh, video website to upload video clips. Even if I was interested in using those services, I have what I like to call a bino internet connection or broadband in name only. It was a lot faster to transfer the files directly across my network than it would be to upload them to the internet and pull them back. I've been using 
ES or eStrong's file explorer to connect my droid phone to the Wi-Fi and transfer files to my PCs that way. The file explorer allows you to browse all the folders on the phone including internal storage and that's without rooting the phone. It connects to Samba shares and FTP servers though it is most convenient if you configure the workstations on your network with static IPs. When you're in the Strong's File Explorer, if you click on the local tab, which is the default, you'll see a button that just has a forward slash on it for root. And if you click that button, you'll be in the root you'll see the root folder of your phone and all the subfolders un under it. Now, I don't know where your pictures be stored necessarily on my HTC Android. I navigate to forward slash all lowercase Edward Mike Mike Charlie forward slash all uppercase David Charlie India Mike forward slash one zero zero all uppercase Mike Edward David India Alpha or if you were to look at it, it would be the root slash EMMC slash DCIM slash one zero zero media and that's where I find both my video and my static photographs. Now once you're in the folder that you want to work in, you on media files to, to view them all you have to do is touch the, the file name and eStrongs will play the file because of course they're going it's going to look like a, a uh, camera folder it's going to be picture 001, picture 002, no description or anything like that. Now to select files in the in that folder for copying to another device in the toolbar there's what they call a multi-select icon it has kind of a picture of a file plus a plus sign on top of it so shouldn't be blamed for mistaking it for a new folder icon but that function is actually if you press the hardware menu key and then the menu comes up there's a new selection but select files, you, you press that multi-select icon in the toolbar, it'll light up so you know that it's active. And then you can, with your finger, you can press on each of the files <coughs> that you want to designate individually. It's just like doing a control click on a computer with a mouse. When you, you deselect the file the same way and they'll light up or, or not light up as you click on them. When you have the files that you want to transfer selected, again, press the hardware menu key, select operations, then select copy. Now you have to go to your target folder. So you have two choices, either LAN or FTP. So if you're looking for a Samba share, say on a PC, or I'm guessing a Macintosh, I haven't tried it with my Macs yet, select LAN. If you have one of your computers or a computer on the internet even, set up as an FTP server, select FTP. If you don't already have your server set up, then of course you're going to have to click add and create your server. And you do that by plugging in the IP address. That's why it's more convenient to use static IPs. Otherwise, you're going to have to look at ifconfig, see what your IP is today, and plug that in. And then every time you use the file transfer, you're going to have to uh, create your setup anew, but you need the 
you need the IP address of the target workstation and of course your username and password. Now on the Samba Share, you're going to be able to see every folder on that machine that your login would have access to if you were sitting directly on the machine. So it doesn't matter if it's an admin or a limited login under Windows, you're going to you're going to see the contents of every drive and every folder whether they've been specifically shared in Windows or not. For some people that might be a security concern. And under FTP it's pretty much the same thing. If you're uh, if you're if the user account you plug in can be elevated to root as it can be on all Debian based distros, then you're not then you're going to see every folder that you could get into if you were sitting at the workstation. In other words, everything on the machine. Assuming it's your machine, you have full-blown login. The reason I use FTP on the uh, Linux box, on Russ Winter's Techie Geek webpage, he has a fine tutorial prepared by Kevin Wisher that goes through everything you'd ever want to know about enabling Samba shares in Linux. Unfortunately, I've never made it all the way through that yet, and it's fairly easy in Linux just to install from the command line a, an FTP server. In my case, I'm using ProFTPD. Now, FTP services can easily be stopped and started from the terminal, so if you have physical access to the machine, in other words, if it's in the same room, best practice would be to go into your uh, startup configuration and make sure that that FTP server does not start with the machine by default. And if I'd ever taken time to do that, I could tell you exactly how that should be done. Okay folks, I'm going to interrupt myself a minute to patch in this edit. Where I left off, I just glibly said something about uh, if I'd ever gotten around to figuring out how to fix the security hole introduced uh, by uh, leaving an open FTP server on my network, then I would tell you how to do it. Well, I sat down the other day and uh, got around to figuring it out. If you're using ProFTPD as your FTP server, like I am, then you can edit the proftpd.conf file, proftpd.conf. Uh, my Mint system, it's located on slash Etsy slash proftpd slash proftpd.conf. On other distributions, you might just find it in slash Edward Tango Charlie slash uh, Peter Romeo October Frank Tango Peter David dot Charlie October, November, Frank, and the file itself is pretty well common. Like a lot, like a lot of these rebuilt uh, configuration files, uh, there's a lot of commented out options, and then pretty detailed explanations about what happens if you remove the hash symbol to make the option active. So if you scroll down where it says default root, if you notice that after that you have a tilde. And what that does, tilde is the universal symbol for your own home folder. So if you comment it out in front of default root, 
when you FTP into your system, instead of seeing the contents of your entire file system, you'll be limited just to the files in your home folder. And I modified that since I had a downloads directory in my home folder. I just made that tilde slash downloads. Now if you have multiple users on your system, you, you need to remember that each one of those users would have to have a downloads folder in their home folder or, or an X folder, X being you know, tilde slash X, whatever you decide to make it. But uh, all your users have to have that same folder. I'm not sure exactly what the results would be. And if you scroll down right below that, there's a section for port. And of course, the default port for FTP is 21. And uh, so if you comment that out and set it to something uncommon, generally you can prob probably use just about any four-digit number. You've got a service running, and it's not for public consumption. It's always best to set it to something different than the default port. And of course, when you're logging in with an FTP client, there should be a uh, field to, to uh, plug in the port number. Okay, that takes care of opening up the whole the whole hard drive or the whole file system with FTP. And now what they didn't didn't take into account uh, when they designed the FTP server is that you might not want it to run all the time. In most cases, FTP servers are going to run uh, on a machine that you're not logged into all the time. It can change it. If you have a Debian-based system, like Debian or Ubuntu or Mint, uh, anything like that, you can install RCConf, Robert Charlie Charlie October November Frank. It may not be installed by default, and it's the Debian run level configuration tool, and it's sort of like running services.msc or msconfig in Windows that you can. It's a uh, text type menu, like the text installer that you see on many uh, Linux installs. But essentially, you just get a, uh, a window or a menu that you can scroll through with all the services that are starting up by default. And the, one, the ones that are set to start will have an asterisk in a box. And if you want to make that service not stop, uh, you, scroll, you scroll down to that line and hit the space bar, and the asterisk will disappear. And the next time you boot up, that service will come up by default. So I unchecked the service uh, Pro FTPD. And then when I want to connect to my Mint box from one of my other computers, I just open up a terminal and run sudo service pro ftpd start. And when I'm done, I can type in the same in the same terminal window sudo service pro ftp stop. Sorry, pro ftpd or stop. All right. Next, back to our regularly scheduled discussion. Okay. Back at the point. Ffmpeg is a scary powerful command line utility for converting media formats. And to me, it's always just been plain scary. If you look at the man page, FFmpeg has more switches than a 747. Many of the graphical media tools, including players and Linux, are making calls to FFmpeg in the background. So knowing that I would need some help, I hit Google to find some real-world examples of converting video from the .3GP format to, to something a little more common. Meanwhile, while I was doing my research, I opened one of the .3GP clips in my Kino movie editor. The first thing it told me was that the file was not a digital video file. In other words, it wasn't, it wasn't raw video. So it had to convert it into that format. Kino expanded a 200 megabyte .3GP video clip to a gig and a half 
.dv raw video file. And don't get me wrong, Kino is excellent for editing video from my digital tape camera by capturing the raw video stream, where I then I can cut it up into individual clips, cut out the parts that I don't want, rearrange it, and export it into uh, the appropriate format. But in this case, I just wanted to trans transfer the two clips as is without doing any editing and I thought there might be a more efficient way to do that than running them through Kino. While I had VLC open I also tried to convert the fi uh, file using the functions in VLC but I never came up with any usable output so undoubtedly I was doing something wrong. While I was learning to use FFmpeg along the way I learned a little trick. FFmpeg expects at minimum, arguments for the input and output files, i.e. ffmpeg space dash i space input file space output file. If you just want to see the particulars of a video file, such as codec, resolution, frame rate, frequency, and bit rate, you can issue ffmpeg dash i space just the input file. ffmpeg will give you an error saying that you it expects an output file but it will show you a report of what it sees in the file. And in the discussion notes, uh, at this point, I've added the output from FFmpeg on one, of, on one of my .3GP files. And the parts of it that I can interpret, the video clip is seven seconds, I'm sorry, seven minutes, 21 seconds, and some change long. It was recorded at a bit rate of 3,015 kbps, 3,015 kilobits per second. It was encoded in MPEG video, MPEG4 video format at 800 by 480. It's using the AMR audio codec recorded at 8,000 hertz mono. Now, uh, at the end of the article, I have also have a link to Wikipedia page that uh, shows the various common recording formats the lowest one is 8,000 hertz, and it's equivalent to uh, telephone communications, which, since we're recording with a phone, that's probably not a surprise. I compared this to a raw digital video file that I recorded with my uh, Sony digital camera, or rather my, my uh, Sony digital tape cam. Actually, the phone has slightly better uh, resolution, but uh, the audio codec is significantly high, higher frequency in stereo, so it beats the phone there. Okay, when you're issuing this command, do not forget the uh, dash i before the input file name. If you do forget it, FFmpeg will assume that the file name is the output, and it will ask, are you sure you want to do this? If you absentmindedly say yes, I believe FFmpeg will happily overwrite the video file with the input you specified, which is nil. With the help of various examples I found using Google, and there are links at the end of the discussion notes, I was able to come up with a set of arguments for FFmpeg which transferred my, transformed my phone video into something suitable for YouTube. As I said before, uh, someone may be able to suggest a more optimal set of parameters, and I invite comment and criticism so I can learn myself what I could have done more effectively. Now that YouTube accepts high def, 
I couldn't find anything on the site about their uh, preferences for upload parameters except keep it under 15 minutes and 2 gig. With my slow internet, 40 megabytes for a 10 minute clip is more my speed and I believe more considerate of the end viewer. And I'm not sure, except for high def video, does YouTube render the stream the same for every clip regardless of the uh, quality of the input? I'd really like to know. When I uh, re-download my video via tinyog.com to my computer, it all comes out with the same parameters. Uh, but that may be an artifact of how they convert video, video on TinyOg. Since I couldn't find uh, their current re uh, video requirements on YouTube, I found an old reference, shahidhussein.com, and again, there will be a link at the end of the discussion notes, and adapted those for my own situation. What I'm going to do is now I'll tell you the FFmpeg command that I eventually issued that was successfully created an output video and then we'll go through and de deconstruct each argument in, in that command. On the command line, of course I browsed to the folder uh, where the input video resided and typed in FFmpeg space dash I space video 0002.3gp space dash b space 564kb space dash s space 320x420 space dash v codec space mpeg4 space r space 30,000 forward slash 1001 space ar space 22,050 space youtube1.avi. Again, and I'm sure you're tired of hearing me say this by now, uh, you can look to the discussion notes to uh, find that command. We'll start at the end with the output file, youtube1.avi. The format of the video file container is determined by the extension of the output file, i.e. it could be .mp4, .avi, .mov if you wanted QuickTime video, etc. Many people confuse the container format with the video codec, but as I understand it, it is more closely related to, the, to a compression format, i.e. choosing between .tar versus .zip or gzip. That's an imperfect analogy, I, I realize. I suspect that some codecs are more compatible with certain containers and it may be possible to choose a combination that actually degrades the video quality. Klaatu made an excellent and comprehensive presentation on codecs in the early days of Hacker Public Radio and I encourage you to check that out. And he also recently discussed the effect of frequency and bitrate on GNU World Order, which you can find his podcasts at thebadapples.info. Okay, the, uh, uh, we'll, we'll start back at the beginning on uh, parameters. The first one being dash I video 0002.3gp. This designates the input file. I believe you could specify parameters such as codec and bitrate on the input side, but I, if FFmpeg can't detect the uh, correct parameters, I doubt if 
overriding what it thinks is going to produce the best output. Next parameter, dash B space 564 KB, video bitrate. Now Mr. Hussein recommends a bitrate of 700 to 1000 kilobits for YouTube video. And if you look at his site, note that he omitted the KB in his example. Without it, FFmpeg interprets the parameter as 800 bits per second and refuses to process the video at that low bitrate. You need to either include KB after the number or add the appropriate number of zeros. In my case, 800 kilobits per second produced a file that came out three or four times the size of what I've been used to getting for a similar length clip from Kino. The Kino export menu gives you various selections for high definition, for DVD, uh, for broadband, for dial-up, etc. And I, I looked at the bitrate uh, for broadband which Kino has set at 564 KB. So that's how I arrived at that particular number. It's good enough for me and my output resulted in a uh, file that was under 40 meg. Going back to Clatu's recent podcast, bitrate determines how many pixels can change from one frame to the next. Set it too low and the video looks pixelated. Next parameter, dash S space 320x240. Self-explanatory, that's the uh, output resolution. Now remember our source clip uh, was recorded at 800 by 480. So for YouTube we're reducing the resolution of the clip. In the past 320 by 240 I believe was the default that YouTube asked for. And I'm not sure that submitting a clip in higher resolution would reserve the uh, would improve the quality once it's up on the website. Next parameter, dash V codec space MPEG4. I selected MPEG4 for the video codec. I had success with Kino uploading clips that were uh, encoded in MPEG4. The original video was in MPEG4 and I suspect that mixing and matching video codecs on the input side and on the output side could introduce loss and I've not tried uploading a Theora video to YouTube but I assume it would work just fine. Next parameter dash R space 30,000 slash 1001. In other words, you're doing a little inline math here, uh, dividing 30,000 by 1001. This is the audio bit rate. It represents the rate of change over time in the audio. Again, there are people who can speak better to this than I can. I was just using the recommendation on Mr. Sain's site, and that math comes out to be approximately 29.97003 frames per second which is the old standard for NTSC or American Standard Definition Video. Other online references recommend a discrete value somewhere between 27 and 30. The default, if you leave the dash R argument out, is 64, which I found odd because FFmpeg would refuse to process the video unless I did give it a specific dash R value. Perhaps that's an artifact of my uh, codec selection. Next parameter, dash AR, space, 22,050. This is the audio frequency. 
which represents the range of discrete audio frequencies that can be reproduced. Higher numbers produce higher fidelity. In other words, 22,050 is probably good enough for speech, but not good enough for music. Note that the input frequency on the original file was only 8,000 Hz. Now, I can't magically in improve the fidelity by selecting a higher output frequency, so why did I? Simply put, the selected output codec refused to accept a lower number, which brings us to the next parameter, dash a codec uh, space not specified. In other words, I, if you go back and you look at uh, the FFmpeg command I, uh, I issued, I didn't put in a value for dash a codec. So it's not dash a codec blank, it's just that's not in there at all. The default is MP2. FFmpeg supports MP3, but the codecs that FFmpeg uh, acknowledges are determined by your software distribution. And even in Mint, the default FFmpeg does not support MP3. Some of the references I found stated FFmpeg actually has to be recompiled with additional libraries to include support for additional codecs. I'm not sure if that applies to just the Gen 2 Arch and Slackware camp or if that's all of us. I also tried to specify Vorbis, but Vorbis won't accept mono input. Remember our original clip was recorded in mono. I suppose I could have tried AMR, but uh, I, the reference I found said the MP2 was probably adequate, for, no better than the original audio that I had to work with. And this brings us to the next uh, parameter which I didn't actually use. Dash AC, also not specified. Audio channel, channel. Ergo, dash AC1 would be mono, dash AC2 would be stereo. Alright, those parameters produced what I thought to be the acceptable output for my first clip. On the second video, I found the above settings were fine for, lar for large objects. Actually, I was doing owner interviews at a truck show, but facial features tended to be washed out, especially when my human subjects moved around. Again, I'm not sure that uploading at a higher video quality to YouTube has any effect, but when my friend asked me what happened to his face in the video, I could blame it on YouTube. So for the second video, I issued FFmpeg space dash I space video 0003.3gp space dash b space 800kb space dash s space 800x480 space dash v codec space libx264 space r space 30,000 divided by 1001 space ar space 22,050 space youtube2.avi. As you can see, I increased the video bitrate to 800 kilobits per second, and I left the uh, resolution at 800 by 480, the same as the input clip. And then I used the Freedom Hating H.264 video codec. My file size increased to a still manageable 120 megabytes. Looking at the two videos on YouTube, I think the one encoded with the uh, higher numbers looks a little better, but I'm going to need to look at it again when I get to a faster broadband connection. One note on the designator 
uh, for the video codec. LibX264. A lot of codecs seem to be referenced as Lib something or other, but apparently that parameter was once just X.264. You're probably going to have to Google around and see what's appropriate for your kernel, your distro, and your version of FFmpeg. If there's a man page for codecs, I did not find it. Alright, well this brings us to the references that I've been promising you at the uh, end of the discussion. To find out about uh, the video container.3gp. I went to Wikipedia, typed in 3gp. The page I found on recommended video parameters for uploading to YouTube was on shahidhussein.com. Let me spell that and I would like to apologize to the gentleman in advance if I'm not pronouncing his name correctly. S-H-A-H-I-D-H-U-S-S-A-I-N dot com slash tech slash optimize dash video dash four dash YouTube dash on dash Linux dash with dash FFmpeg. I'd like to uh, thank these folks for their help. I also found a page that I found useful uh, concerning converting AVI files to 3GP uh, to play them to play them on the phone in the native format. Though I don't believe you you have to convert. I believe you can you can the phone will recognize most video formats. But that article can be found at coreygilmore.com/blog/2010 slash zero three slash zero five slash use dash ffmpeg dash two that's to dash encode dash a dash three gp dash video dash two dash more dash portable dash formats and the author and again i apologize if i'm not pronouncing that right is srini vasan okay i found a nice big reference to ffmpeg and codex by howard pritchett on howto-pages.org slash ffmpeg and the uh, reference for the various common audio sampling rates I found that by going to Wikipedia and typing in sample rates so it's en.wikipedia.org slash wiki slash sampling underscore rate well that's all I have and uh, thank you for your time again I invite corrections and comments which may be addressed to me personally at 5150 at the big red switch dot com off c-o-m-u-f dot com thank you thank you for listening to hack republic radio hpr is sponsored by caro.net so head on over to caro.net for all your hosting needs